This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that you would keep our gaze on only you, Lord, tonight. That the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. As we consider your word together, may you guide us, help us to look to Christ, help us to be more like Christ because of what we see in your word this evening. These are amazing truths, far above our ability to understand, our ability to articulate, our ability to really get into our hearts. But Father, please, by your Holy Spirit's help, may we understand the greatness of our Savior tonight, may we understand your glory May we be drawn closer to you. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 19. Who is the greatest military commander of all time? Of course, we can't have a definitive answer to that question, but many would try to answer it. Some might argue that it would be Alexander the Great, or maybe Genghis Khan. Some of the fans of the Civil War history might argue that it's Robert E. Lee, or on the other side, Ulysses S. Grant. Um, some might argue for someone like George Patton, or even Adolf Hitler. But there are many students of history who would agree that the greatest military leader of all time was a short Frenchman that you are probably familiar with named Napoleon Bonaparte. And Regardless of what people think of Napoleon, anyone who understands him understands he was a great military leader. Uh, He was a brilliant man. He had a knack for organization, uh, which certainly helped him with leading that large French army. Uh, he He had a very capable and always active mind. He was a brilliant tactician with a real mind for military strategy. But perhaps more than anything else, Napoleon stuck out from others because of his charisma. Uh, He was an incredible leader. He he knew how to inspire people. The story is told that after Napoleon was exiled to Elba, the first time he was exiled, uh, he was able to return. He gathered a small force and he was entering France. And the, the fifth regiment of the French army had been sent to capture Napoleon and bring him back so he could be put back into exile. And as this regiment approached Napoleon, the story is told that he and his much smaller force came close. Napoleon dismounted from his horse, and he walked up to this regiment of soldiers, and he said, Here I am. Kill your emperor if you wish. Well, the response, of course, was very different from that. This whole regiment decided, no way, we're going to follow Napoleon again. And they all fell in behind him and helped him as he regained control of France. He was, a, he was an incredible leader. He knew how to inspire loyalty. He knew how to motivate his men, even when things were uh, really bad. Uh, things were not going their way. But though he was arguably the greatest military commander of all time, eventually Napoleon failed. In fact, he lost again once and for all. And he 
lived out his remaining days in exile. See, that's the fatal flaw with all of the great commanders of history. Many of them eventually failed, and all of them eventually died. But tonight we're going to look at the one who is truly the greatest military commander. One who has never been and will never be defeated. And who will last for eternity as we continue to consider Christ unveiled in the book of Revelation. Last month we looked at the judgment of Babylon the Great, a representation of the sin-soaked system of our world. And uh, that finished up chapter 18. And then as you enter chapter 19, it begins with a song of praise to God for that judgment that he sent on Babylon and his righteousness in sending that judgment. Then, beginning in verse 11, a dramatic vision greets us. If you would follow along in your Bible as I read Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11, the Bible says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast, and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse, and against his army. Sorry, I lost my place there. That was verse 19, verse 20. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth, proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Thus the victorious commander, the greatest military leader of all time, wins this world-changing battle. But it's interesting, he does not win this battle with an incredible mind-blowing strategy, or because he has just this amazing influence on his soldiers and he can motivate them. There's, there's none of that. He, he, he simply wins the battle with his power. You know, the truth is, in any battle, firepower makes a big difference. The side that has greater military strength has quite an advantage. And that can sometimes be overcome, but usually the side that has more firepower is the side that wins. It's 480 B.C., 
And the odds are somewhere between 10 to 1 and 40 to 1. But brave Greek forces led by King Leonidas of Sparta defend a narrow pass at Thermopylae in the face of an overwhelming Persian army. Again, history tells us somewhere between 10 to 1 to 40 to 1 in this battle. But here the Greeks are. It's a mostly Spartan Greek force. They hold the pass bravely for two days, inflicting frightful casualties on the Persians. And history has lifted up Leonidas as a great commander, a manly soldier who bravely held his position. He fought fiercely in the face of overwhelming odds. Soon after the battle, in fact, Greek craftsmen carved a stone lion in Leonidas' honor. And even today, he and those brave Greek soldiers capture our imagination. The Encyclopedia Britannica says, Today the Battle of Thermopylae is celebrated as an example of heroic persistence against seemingly impossible odds. But when the Battle of Thermopylae came to an end, the pass was in Persian hands. And King Leonidas and about 1,500 other Greeks who had refused to retreat lay dead. Leonidas was the underdog, and he got crushed. You know, we, we like a, an underdog story, don't we? But the reality of it is, most of the time, the underdog loses. Most of the time, the one that doesn't have as much power loses the battle. So, what are we looking at when it comes to power here in Revelation 19? We've got two armies facing each other, two commanders facing each other. They're, both of these commanders, even if you take the armies away, they have some incredible power. So consider with me both sides for a moment. On the one side, we have the beast. The beast is over here. And what does scripture say about his power? Well, it says several things, but here's an example in Revelation 13. It it talks about when the beast rises to prominence. becomes begins to become a a worldwide figure, someone who's receiving a lot of attention, a lot of praise. And it says, all the world wondered after the beast. The reason they wondered is it says he had received a deadly wound. And he had the power to heal that deadly wound. And all the world sees this miracle done, this miraculous work, and they say, wow. They marvel at his power. And they worshiped the dragon, that's speaking of Satan, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Someone with that kind of power, that kind of influence, who can make war with him? Verse 7 of that chapter says, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So this guy has some incredible power. Miraculous power, political power, power of influence. It says that he makes war against the saints and wins. He, it seems, is an unstoppable force. He has power to conquer whoever he wants to conquer. The world looks at him and says, no one can make war with him. No one can defeat this man. 
And of course, following him are the kings of the earth and the armies of the earth. We can't begin to imagine how formidable that army is, led by that man. So let's turn our attention then to the other commander. Well, we read the story. It said, I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army, and the beast was taken. We, we come to that verse and we almost think, I missed something. They're gathered for, for battle. They're ready to go. We're about to hear about this, you know, the opening shots fired in this battle, the, the beginning of, of the conflict, and it's going to be this epic story. And then it just says, and the beast was taken. Right off the bat, this commander's captured. And then it goes on to say, not only is he captured, but his right-hand man, the false prophet, he's captured. And then it says, the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse. The beast, despite incredible power, despite this unimaginable military, stands no chance against this victorious general. Amen. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. Amen. We can rejoice. Because he is our commander, and he has all power. But I want to be clear. We, we look at this chapter and we think, what a day that's going to be. The armies of earth. All the firepower this world can muster, and he, he's going to knock it out like it's nothing. What power he, he's going to show, what victory he's going to have, that's going to be amazing. And, and it's true, it is going to be amazing. And we can rejoice in that fact. But it's not just to say, one day, he's going to be victorious. No, rejoice in what that means now. Amen. We follow a commander who will one day conquer the armies of earth, but he is also the one who has power to lead us to spiritual victory today. He is a commander to follow and to trust because there is no battle that is too hard for him. There is no enemy he cannot conquer. King Asa of Judah learned a lesson about this in the book of 2 Chronicles. Uh, Asa had an army of about 600,000 men. And an army, an Ethiopian army of one million came to attack him. Um, those aren't completely impossible odds, but those aren't very good odds either. 2 Chronicles 14.11 says, And Asa cried unto the Lord his God, and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God, let not man prevail against thee. And the Bible says, so the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Asa said, Lord, we can't do it, but it's nothing to you. You're able to give the victory. Don't let them win the victory and take glory away from you. And the Lord gave him an incredible victory that day. Well, 
Asa trusted in the commander no man can defeat and experience victory that day. But about 20 years later, another army came against Judah. This time, Asa faced an Israelite army. And how did he respond that time? Second well, Chronicles 16, verses 2 and 3 say, Then Asa brought out silver and gold out of the treasures of the house of the Lord and of the king's house, and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, that dwelt at Damascus, saying, There is a league between me and thee. As there was between my father and thy father, behold, I have sent thee silver and gold. Go, break thy league with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may depart from me. So Asa says, we've got a problem again. There's another army. I have a diplomatic solution. I will buy a friend to help me out of this problem. And it, it seems to have worked. Baasha ended up leaving Judah. The Israelite army uh, left. But God was not pleased. God sent a prophet named Hanani to Asa. And Hanani told Asa, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly. Therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Sometimes we face a problem we can't fix. Sometimes we face a problem we can fix. And we use human power to try to fix it and accomplish the ends we want to accomplish. Asa saw a problem and figured out a human solution and God said that was foolishness. You used to realize you couldn't do it without me and now you think you can figure it out yourself. Sometimes human power can accomplish our ends, but God wants us to trust him and him only for the victory. Amen. And what reason would we have not to? Amen. Trust in him who has all power. Who can you better trust to take you through the war that is your life? When, when you face a battle in your life, is it time for you to rise to the challenge? Or is it time for you to run to Christ? That's a decision that we face every time a problem faces us. Am I going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and fix this? Or am I going to run to Jesus? Over and over in Scripture, we see God bringing people to the point where they had to say, I can't, so that they would have to say, but God can. Let us ask God to help us also to also to learn that lesson and to learn the lesson that even when I think I can, I need God. No victory won apart from God's power is truly a victory. We ought to pledge our allegiance to this victorious commander because of his power, but also because of his wisdom. It's hard to go into battle behind a commander if you're not convinced of that commander's wisdom. Perhaps you've heard of the poem, The Charge of the Light Brigade, by Lord Tennyson. 
It goes half a league, half a league, half a league onward. All in the valley of death rode the 600. Forward the light brigade, charge for the guns, he said. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Forward the light brigade, was there a man dismayed? Not, though the soldier knew someone had blundered. Someone had blundered. The soldiers knew someone had blundered. And no soldier likes to be in that position. Uh, here's, uh, the story goes like this. It was October 25th, 1854. And the Allied forces of the British, French, and Turkish faced the Russians during the Crimean War. The Russians had occupied heights near Balaclava on the Crimean Peninsula, um, which if you're, if you're wondering about the geography, that juts into the Black Sea, all right? That, if that helps you. That helped me. Um, other engagements had set the stage for what went down in history as the charge of the Light Brigade. Lord Raglan, who was commander of the British troops, sent a command to Lord Cardigan, who was commander of the Light Brigade of Cavalry, intending him to attack one portion of the Russian forces and take their guns. But the command was poorly communicated. And Lord Cardigan took it to mean that he was be being ordered to advance straight ahead past Russian guns on either side and attack Russian guns on the heights at the end of the valley. It seemed like a foolish order, but orders are orders. So the Light Brigade bravely, or foolishly, depending on your perspective, faced the combined firepower of the Russian artillery as they charged the one and a half miles, or half a league, down to those Russian guns. And as they charged, attacked, and then retreated, they lost almost half of their 600 horsemen, either by being killed, wounded, or captured. And the rest retreated. As Lord Tennyson says, all that was left of them, left of 600. He goes on to say, when can their glory fade? Oh, the wild charge they made, all the world wondered. Honor the charge they made, honor the light brigade, noble 600. Now, I don't know if you think we ought to honor them, or if you think we ought to weep for them, or if you, we, you think we ought to ridicule them. But the fact is, if it illustrates nothing else, this story illustrates something very clearly. Commanders make mistakes. Wrong decisions can be made. Commands can be misunderstood. Limited intel can result in faulty logic, and sometimes those mistakes bring disastrous results. That's why the book of Proverbs warns, for by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and in multitude of counselors there is safety. Wise commanders take advice and make decisions carefully. But the fact is, no matter how many counselors you have, every one of us gets it wrong sometimes. And any person on this earth that you can trust or follow is going to get it wrong sometimes. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't follow the leaders God's put, us, put in our lives. But we recognize all of us humans are human. Even the best generals sometimes send the light cavalry to their deaths for no real reason. 
That's why Psalm 118.9 says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Our commander has perfect wisdom. He never makes a mistake. He never miscalculates. He never miscommunicates. Before the battle at Armageddon, some might wonder whose side it would be best to be on. Think about combining all of the armies of earth. Like I said earlier, I can't begin to really wrap my mind about or around what that would look like. And then you put them under the political leader who has brought the world together. And basically across the spectrum is praised by people. Imagine that today. Someone who people of all political positions have rallied behind this commander. He's got universal praise. He's got people from all over the world following him and he's leading that army. And you might say, how could someone with any sense oppose that? Imagine the Jezreel Valley filling with the combined might of the militaries of the whole world. And then comes he that is faithful and true. And he's followed by the armies of heaven. And he sees the vast and technically advanced armies facing him. And he never misses a beat. In his perfect wisdom, he knows his victory is sure. Whose wisdom are you trusting today? Asa trusted man's power. He trusted man's wisdom. And we often do the same thing. I know when I face any kind of a problem or challenge, my first impulse is to go here, to my mind. The answer has to be here somewhere. I can figure this out. My mind, my intellect, my wisdom will find a solution. But my mind fails. My intellect falls short. My wisdom often shows itself to be foolish. On that day, the multitudes of earth will trust the wisdom of the beast. But the beast will miscalculate the power of his enemy. The commander who no man can defeat will never miscalculate. His wisdom is perfect. His strategy is flawless. So stop trusting your mind. Stop trusting your wisdom. Stop trusting the wisdom of some other person. Trust him. Trust his word. Put your confidence here. And go out and boldly follow his orders without fear. Finally, let's consider his victory. When a victory is won, someone gets the credit for the victory. Uh, This is Alvin York, born and raised in the mountains of East Tennessee. He was drafted during World War I, and he found himself in the Argonne Forest in October of 1918. He was part of a small detachment of 17 men who had been tasked with taking out some German guns. But his group got pinned down, and as higher-ranking men were killed, Corporal York found himself in command. Well, miraculously, mostly through his own skill and ingenuity, he took those guns... And he and his small group of men ended up taking 132 German prisoners. He was highly lauded for his accomplishment. He received the Medal of Honor. He was touted as a hero both in France and back in the United States. And York shares in his autobiography 
which, by the way, if you're a fan of history, I highly recommend reading his autobiography. Um, but he, he, he basically says he didn't have a taste for all those accolades, that attention. He, he just had done his duty, and he wanted to go home. But everyone, it seemed, wanted to celebrate his accomplishments except him. And that's because everyone wants to have heroes. So when we see somebody who accomplishes something that we consider to be amazing, we like to give them honor for that accomplishment. In a war, when a victory is won, we want someone to praise for that. When there's a victory, we want that to be a pin on someone's chest. Whether it's a commander, a specific unit, or a lowly corporal. We want to give that praise, that credit for the victory to someone. And we see this illustrated in Scripture. In 1 Samuel 18, David has gone out against Goliath. And he's killed Goliath. And Saul all of a sudden realizes this young man has some promise. Uh, He could really accomplish something. And so Saul puts him in command of his troops and brings him with him back to Jerusalem with a result he didn't bargain for. Because they get back to Jerusalem and the women of Israel come out rejoicing. The king has returned from victory and the women come out to rejoice and sing and here's the song they sing. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Well, of course, that didn't make Saul very happy and that was the beginning of his mistrust and eventual hatred of David. But it's interesting and refreshing to see David's heart back in 1 Samuel 17. He came away from this battle, and who got the credit? Who got the praise? Well, lots of people were giving the credit and praise to David. But what was David's heart in it all? He went to battle with Goliath. Verse 46 of chapter 17, he tells Goliath, This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day and to the, onto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. David's heart was, I don't need the credit, I don't need the attention, I want the praise for this victory to go to God. Who's going to get the credit for the battle at Armageddon? Is it going to be those white-clothed armies of heaven? No? They're, they're going to be the uh, sitting in the bleachers, really, if we think about it. They're just watching. Who wins the victory? Whose power is it? Whose wisdom is it? Whose might, whose incredible authority wins that battle? It's him. It's Christ. It's the victorious commander. And he will get all the praise and all the glory and all the attention for that victory because it all belongs to him. Now, the question is... When you have victory in your life, who gets the credit? Who gets the praise? Who gets the attention? We need to be careful. Because so often, when God gives us victory, we try to take the credit. Or we might even point the credit towards someone else. But we don't give God the glory he deserves. He 
is the one who wins the victory. It is his victory, and he needs to get the praise for it. I love what the, the Word of God says about the victory we can have in Christ. I'm not going to take time here, but Revelation 12 talks about this and how they overcame Satan through the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They loved not their lives unto the death. We can experience victory today through the blood of Christ, through the word of our testimony. And as 1 John 5 says, this is the victory that overcometh the world even our faith. As we look to him, as we rely on him, as we go out through the blood of Christ, we can experience victory, but it's not our victory, it's his. So let the praise go to him. One day the armies of earth will gather near the hill of Megiddo, and the armies of heaven will descend to meet them. And those armies will face each other, and suddenly the beast and false prophet are taken prisoner. They're cast into the lake of fire. Their armies are wiped out, apparently in a moment, by the victorious commander's sword. And the battle is over. The victory is won. And though the story is not over, and Christ's arch enemy is not yet finished, as we'll see as we continue our study, one thing has been made crystal clear. Jesus wins. So two things tonight. First, be encouraged. Jesus wins. He is the victorious commander. He is the one not only who will not be defeated that day, but who is never defeated. And so don't take your cues from the world. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't hunker down and say, it's almost over. Let's just hang on. No, go out boldly in light of that victory. In light of the fact that we serve the Savior who no one has ever defeated and no one will ever defeat. Go out in light of that victory he will one day win and the victory he gives us day by day. And if we have that attitude and that spirit, it doesn't matter if we die in the battle because we know we're serving the victorious commander. And that truth can prepare us for suffering. It can prepare us for persecution. It can prepare us even for martyrdom. Because we know we're serving the commander who wins today and who wins that day and who will be victorious for all of eternity. And secondly, remember it's not your power, it's not your wisdom, it's not your victory. Rely on his strength. Rely on his wisdom. And recognize it as his victory. And follow the victorious commander with all of your heart. Pledge your allegiance without any reserves to that commander, and you will not regret it. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much that Jesus wins. What a wonderful truth. Father, thank you that one day this battle we have read about today will physically happen. And it will be a very sober day in many ways. It will be a day of tears as so many lives are snuffed out. But Father, it will also be a day of rejoicing in your victory, recognizing that righteousness has conquered evil, light has conquered darkness, God has conquered the forces of earth. 
Thank you for that victory. Thank you for the victory we can know today. Thank you for the chance to follow a commander whose power never wavers, whose wisdom never fails, and whose victory is sure. Help us to rest confidently in these truths and to follow you with all of our hearts, to be your soldiers, to be your servants, to be willing to fight boldly, not in our own strength, not because we are able to muster something up of ourselves, but because of the strength and grace and wisdom and victory that you give. Thank you for the time we've had together in your word. As we consider these truths in our hearts, I pray that you would do your work and help us surrender to it. We love you and pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.